Let's welcome my friend Tim. So sometimes when you get up, if you're a guest speaker, you go, oh, I don't even need to preach today. But you're just doing it like, you know, out of honor for them. But honestly, I really don't need to preach today. I mean, uh, you already preached the whole sermon. Uh, and actually, it's basically what I'm going to talk about. So I'm just going to tie up some loose ends maybe today. Uh, I am really humbled and honored to be with you. And I, by the way, I'm going to preach short too because I really like you and I want to be invited back sometime. So uh, I'm going to burn your whole lunch hour. Um, I am really humble, honest, uh, genuinely humbled and honored to be here. I, I respect and love Joel and Jake and Steve and John and everybody that I've met from here so much. And uh, Joel and I have become really good friends sharing some similar trauma in our lives, and I know he's let you into some of that uh, personally uh, for his story, but it's really good to have good friends, because uh, life is hard, and uh, it's not all easy worship songs all the time, uh, and we've already shared some of that grief uh, this morning in repentance, but I, I just want to say thank you to Joel for his friendship, but also, uh, I'm humbled and honored because uh, we have, and I'm going to share a little bit about the CNMA. Many of you know about the Christian Missionary Alliance. Some of you care about it. Some of you don't care about it. I'm not going to do a denominational rah-rah speech today. That's not why I'm here, um, because it's not high on your priority list. But I do hope to encourage you that what we experience here at the Gospel Tab, both here and in uh, the network and what's going on at Franklin and all the rest. Joel gave me the whole Pastor Joel tour yesterday. Um, all of that really reflects the DNA of who this family of churches is. In fact, you know that your name, the Gospel Tabernacle, was the name of the first church of our founder, uh, A.B. Simpson, in the late 1800s in New York City, who had a really great job making a bunch of money at a very prestigious church and had a heart for immigrants, refugees, and to experience the power of the Spirit. So he got kicked out of his church and started another one with six other people, and it rose into something called the Gospel Tab. And that Gospel Tab now has spun into 23,000 churches worldwide and 2,000 churches and just in this country today worshiping in 37 different languages just in the U.S. from that one like seed of a vision and I want to tell you I think Simpson would be super comfortable here <laughs> our founder he didn't fit in a lot of boxes uh, and he, he made people feel uncomfortable because he would stop services and go, now we're going to break uh, generational sin patterns. And I, got, I have one more thing at the end of my talk here because I'm not going to distract it that I feel like God gave me about that moment. So we'll get to that in a second. Um, but uh, Simpson would feel comfortable. And that makes me really feel encouraged because working for a denomination is both encouraging and also like a little challenging because not every church is thriving. I don't know if you're looking around the country. Uh, not every uh, church is full with people who are passionate about Jesus. Not every church worships like this. Uh, I told Joel last night, like, it was worth the drive from Columbus where we moved our office just to come to worship with you guys. Seriously, because it's a bummer in a lot of places. So uh, I'm just really feeling filled up today. I wish my wife could, could be here. But, um, but that seed that started 140 years ago or so is not only alive here, but it's alive in many places. And today, all I want to do is just share with you why we 
have a network of churches called the Christian Missionary Alliance and why our vision is what it is. And I literally think it's just going to hopefully connect with what we've already talked about because I've already heard the language this morning and all the rest. Um, Good luck if you're following PowerPoint because I'm going to try to do this really quickly and I probably only preach a third of it. We'll just do what we do, okay? I do want to start with this. And Joel said, a lot of, see, the problem is when you're, when you have a friend who shares a lot of the same interests and books and all that kind of stuff, you end up using the same words. And so I told him how I was going to start and he goes, yeah, we say that all the time. So it's nothing new and not clever or anything. Um, but, uh, language shapes culture, language shapes culture. So I know as a leadership team, we talk about that language, the words that we say, the repeated phrases in our lives and our families in our churches they shape the kind of culture that we have that's why when you walk in and you have a bunch of values and we just heard spirit empowered family on Christ centered spirit empowered family on mission right that language shapes culture who are well we're, we're Christ centered we're about and i heard we need to be jake said even more about jesus only that was a phrase that simpson used to use 140 years ago that language has shaped the culture not only of our movement but it's shaping this so have you ever been to Chick-fil-A? Yes. Yeah. That's yes. good, right? So what are you guaranteed to hear if you go into a Chick-fil-A? My pleasure, My pleasure right? So recently I beat a Chick-fil-A employee to the restaurant, um, and I, opened, I, w- I was able to open the door for them, and they were, like, getting there for their shift. I'm like, thanks, and I was like, my pleasure. And the, the look I got, they were not. But you know what? Um, the reality is, True Kathy started Chick-fil-A. He said, we can make people think that they are really like doing us this great service and we are stoked to be at work. Now, maybe if you work for Chick-fil-A, maybe that's true and you are really excited every time you hand a chicken sandwich to somebody, but it works. Like sometimes I want to go there because I like the chicken sandwich, but I also want to go there because I know I'm going to be treated well. In some places, I'm not treated so well, right? So you want to go there because they say, my pleasure. There's a bunch of different examples of this, and we're not going to run through all, this, all of them. But the reality is from, you know, ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it, and I still love McDonald's. So I don't care. Well, McDonald's, it's a lot of hate, but I still love McDonald's. Um, two more serious things, like our family systems, the things that we heard our parents say to us and their parents said to them, and they become sort of monikers in our family, many of whom take on a spiritual significance that need to be broken in the spirit realm, and, they, and some of those were broken this morning. Some of those are positive things that we hand down generationally. So, Steve, you prayed for generational blessing and transfer, and that stuff is important too. So even in a denomination, this family of churches, this 2,000 churches in, in the U.S., We've got to have language that reminds us and shapes the reason why we keep going. Because sometimes it feels discouraging. You know, like, why would you keep going? And even in this, you know, when you, a lot of times when you feel the pain of multiplication that you're feeling right now, you're sending out, there's grief in that, there's joy in it. A lot of times people will start that journey and then stop because of the pain or the discouragement or the disappointment or because when you change it equals a loss for someone people don't really fear change they fear the loss that they'll experience from change that's what you're experiencing right now that's totally normal and okay but when you lean through and press through those language pieces and the core of who you are is what is lived out and even at a denominational level we've got to wrestle through that so can you put up that uh, little drawing Okay, and then we'll come back to this slide that you just went through. So, 
our mission in the alliance, and, and we were, this is a, a drawing by a guy on our team named Rick. Uh, I've got some friends from the team, Pete and Pam, uh, who drove over. Uh, and Pete's originally from Western PA, so he's making the, you know, trek all the way back here. Um, so uh, they're here. They've moved to Columbus with us as well. Um, and, and a guy on our team named Rick, he drew this. And a few years ago, he said, okay, if our mission is to exalt Jesus as Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King, the fourfold gospel, many of you are familiar with that, and to complete his great commission. And if our identity, our president, John Stumbo, uh, came in and said, hey, listen, our identity needs to be recentered and refocused. We are Christ-centered. And, and what you've done is take Acts 1-8 family and make it spirit-empowered family on mission. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about this morning, very briefly. Uh, but if that's our identity, then what is the vision that sort of gets us out of bed in the morning, that compels us when we're discouraged, when our workers have to flee countries because of war, which has happened recently, obviously, when there are other people who are staying in a country that has less than 1% of believers and they don't see any fruit for 10 years. And they're just there grinding it out in a, in a place that they're rejected. Why do we keep going? And we landed on this phrase that I think just sums up, after a lot of conversations with a lot of people, that just sums up who we've always been. And it's all of Jesus for all the world. All of Jesus for all the world. Maybe you've heard that phrase, maybe you haven't. It's not rocket science. Nothing I'm going to share this morning is going to blow your mind, I don't think. It's just going to remind you. But all of Jesus for all the world. Does that mean some people can get some of Jesus? Not really, but kind (laughs) of. It's possible to believe in God and not experience the fullness that he has for us. It's possible to say, to, to take steps towards faith and not surrender our hearts fully. That's why Paul's always saying stuff like, be fully, wholly sanctified. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's reminding the church because they're going like, yeah, but we're doing the thing. We switched allegiances to Jesus. And he goes, yeah, but there's more. And then all of Jesus, so the fullness of Christ, and we'll just unpack this for the next few minutes, for all the world. So when Simpson started this thing, his heart beat for Irish and Italian immigrants. Interesting, right? Interesting timing. Uh, Irish and Italian immigrants in New York City who were not being welcomed necessarily with open arms in the circles that he was in. And then he said, but not only would we minister to folks like this locally, but there are people who have never heard about Jesus around the world. So Simpson was one of the guys who, along with some others, would send missionaries who would pack caskets in their boats because they expected to never return and go to places like West Africa and India and China. And so some of the, some of the alliance missionaries went to West Africa, like the Republic of Congo, and um, all of them died at the beginning. Like in the first couple months, they all died from foreign illnesses, all that kind of stuff. One was left. And today, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, 1.2 million believers fill Alliance churches just because somebody stuck around. Because when all of Jesus captures your imagination, when the fullness of Christ captures your imagination that it's not just for our healing, but for the healing of others and the nations, then we are really compelled to live beyond ourselves. And then that takes us to the whole world. And in the Alliance specifically, so here's the thing. 
denominations, one denomination is not better than another denomination. As long as we're holding to Christ as king and we're you know, expectant that the Spirit's going to work in us, there's plenty of people, and in your, even in, in I'll clip it here, in your network, there are plenty of people who are in different groups. It's not a competition in the kingdom. Jesus is not going to be like, well, are you Baptist? No, you have to wait in the back of the line. Now, you Presbyterians can go first. He doesn't care, okay? Um, but for some reason, you're here today. You're here today at the Gospel Tab in Aliquippa, which means God stirred in you. Maybe it's for your family. Maybe you've been here a long time. Maybe you met somebody who invited you, but you're here because there's some kind of synergy in this place. You could go to another church in Aliquippa, and you'd be okay. You'd get into heaven. But for some reason, then, God networks us together in churches. Sometimes those are local. Sometimes those are regional. There's shared DNA. There's shared heartbeat. There's shared passion. And that network, then, just leads us to steward specific callings. So not every local church has the exact same values as the gospel tab, and that's okay. Not every church has the same worship style, totally fine. But what you must do is steward your calling here well. Not to be some other church or steward their callings, but steward your own calling. And as a group of, and a family of churches, we have to steward our calling. And one of our uniquenesses is that we don't send missionaries, mostly, to places that are already reached. We just send them to like the most difficult, last places on the planet. 4,000 people groups still remain that have little to no access to the gospel. So we target those people and send willing souls to learn language and culture and live amongst them so that they can bring gospel presence. So that, that's sort of the, the calling for the alliance. Where does this come from? Really briefly now from the word. Um, first of all, let me say, John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life abundantly, right? Like overflowing maximum life. So Jesus says, I haven't just come, this is the all of Jesus piece, I haven't just come to like get you a ticket into heaven and then wish you luck. What we've experienced this morning is true life. Repentance, breaking family bondage, receiving words from the Lord, uh, getting hope for the future, releasing our control over our finances, all the rest of that. That's the kind of life that Jesus wants to give us. In Acts 1.8, that's a familiar verse. First, in Acts 1.4, Jesus says, listen, don't leave Jerusalem. He's about to ascend into heaven. All of his disciples are ready to, like, do something. They think that they're about to take political power and have some kind of significance because, in two verses later, they say, so is now the time you're going to restore all of this to us? In other words, our kingdom, earthly power. And he's like, first of all, you're asking the wrong question, and there's no way you would understand what I would say if I told you the truth. Um, But first he says, wait here in Jerusalem and pray. I know that he doesn't say pray in verse 4, but I know that they inferred pray because that's what they do with his command. When they wait in Jerusalem, they don't just like sit around and play cards because when the Holy Spirit visits them in early in Acts 2, what are they doing? They're praying in the upper room and the Holy Spirit visits them. So Jesus says, don't go anywhere. Stay in Jerusalem. Wait. And the Holy Spirit will come on you, the one who's been promised. And then in Acts 1.8 he says... And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. NIV says to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I think a better translation of that word witnesses is evidence in the Greek. You will be evidence that God is real and Jesus sets people free. When you walk around and when you share your heart, you will be evidence. Why? Because the word is martyros, 
which is the best evidence that somebody really believes they're willing to give their life, right? Some people are misguided, but the evidence that we are sold out to Christ is the way we live our life, the way we surrender everything to him, right? Um, That was prayed earlier. The call is to full surrender, not partial surrender. So Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my evidence. Now, let's go back to the NIV translation because I think it still works. You will be my witnesses, both in the place you live, in the region you live, with people who are close to you, but they're a lot different from you, and to the ends of the earth, which these guys who are following Jesus have no concept of what he means by the ends of the earth. They're like, okay, where, how far is the ends of the earth to the first century Jew? Not very far, right? But Jesus really had in mind places like India and West Africa that they didn't even know existed at the time. Even to where we live right now. And many of us came into faith because someone told us or our families about Jesus and we had to encounter Jesus through the presence of somebody else. So that's the way this works. But that word witnesses, I think, can be used in two ways. And again, this is why I feel like we've already done the message this morning. Jesus, I think, is saying, you will bear witness. In other words, you will bear witness to what you have seen. But you can't bear witness to what you don't see. You can't give witness to what you won't bear witness to. Is maybe a different way to say that. So if we aren't gazing on Christ and seeking him in worship, it's very difficult to be confident in the witness that we're going to bear about God. But then I think there's a direct link there that he says, when you give witness to me, you will bear witness confidently that Jesus is the Lord and our only hope. And you will take that gospel both here and everywhere to the nations, to the neighborhoods and the nations. That's your language, right? Neighborhoods and the nations. But Jesus gives us a gift here in a very famous, quote-unquote, missions verse, Acts 1-8. Because, and you've already made this link, Spirit-Empowered Family on Mission. He says there is no mission without spirit empowerment. So he doesn't say, like, figure out how to get trained and learn how to do evangelism better and then hit the streets He says, stay in Jerusalem and pray. Wait, the Holy Spirit will come on you? Wait. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you'll be my witnesses. Then you'll be my evidence. So a lot of people try to fast forward the, okay, I got this thing. I was talking to a guy yesterday. He's been sober for one month. It's the longest he's been sober in 15 years, so I'm rejoicing with him. Came to initial faith about eight, nine years ago. I've been walking with him. It's been a journey. Yesterday, he, and this always happens, as soon as he gets sober, he's like, I'm going to go into ministry. And what I said to him yesterday was, Justin, listen, you might have a calling on your life, but now the call is to wait and let the Spirit work in your heart so you surrender. That's the call. (laughs) Then Jesus will work out what the, because for him, it's like, okay, now I got to just do something for God. I'm feeling better. But instead of just jumping to the service and the mission we do for God, our first call is to himself. Just to like, stop. And settle down and wait, like we sang this morning. The second side of the same coin is all the world. Because when Jesus talks about the Spirit's presence, he links it immediately to others' focus. So if we wait and we experience the power of the Holy Spirit and we're feeling more free, but it doesn't lead to neighbor love, 
or nation's service or care, then we do need to ask about the nature of what we've experienced with God. Because what we experience for God isn't just for us to feel better or to like, you know, be more prepared for our challenges of the day. That's not, Jesus is saving us for a glorious purpose, which is first of all for himself, but then also to be used in his kingdom. I think in the American church, one of our major sins from the beginning, but also that we struggle with, is we humanize the gospel to the point that eradicates any kind of spiritual vibrancy. So you guys aren't really at the danger here. But whenever you multiply, the enemy will attack, and that will be in it. That will be a danger. So never lose this spirit fire, please, please, please. Um, we humanize the gospel. And then we make it manageable so that we create categories of what service means, surrender means, the five things I'm going to do to make Jesus happy with me today, the three things I'm going to do to be a better neighbor. Some of those lists are helpful, but the bottom line is that when Jesus changes us, he actually changes us. So why would you care about people in Ukraine? Why? Because Jesus stirs in you. And even people who don't know God, who feel compassion, it's the heart of God. It's the working of God in their hearts. Why would you care about people you don't know? Because of Jesus. When, when Jesus says, okay, here's the, the, the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the, the first question was what? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus told a story about enemies and people that would make us feel very uncomfortable. And so Jesus always links this deep life with him with deep mission. That's why in John 10, he follows the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come in the name of life. Have it abundantly. And then in, in verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that don't yet belong, and we got to go find those sheep. And the disciples are going like, what are you talking about? Like other Israelites? Yeah, I guess we got to convince them you're Messiah. And, and I think Jesus had a vision for neighborhoods and nations even then, that he was seeding in the hearts of the disciples and said, go make disciples of all nations. Steve, your prayer was basically the sermon, so I just thank you. Um, that, I mean, the whole thing. You know, we're not talking about nickels and noses. We're talking I mean, the whole thing, you know? We're talking about multiplying disciples um, in here and everywhere, right? That's the, that's the point. Um. I told this story a couple of weeks ago, and it was the first time I had told it in like 10 years. Um, and I think I told it a couple of weeks ago, Pete was there. Uh, so, because God wanted me to share it today for some reason. So, I'm going to share it. I don't like sharing stories like this. First of all, you guys are like my kind of people. So, you're not going to be like, oh, what? Based on the story. But, but... I don't like sharing these stories because I'd rather tell stories of like other people's transformation, other people's life, rather than what God, for some reason, there's just this thing in me. But I'm going to tell it. So when I was a kid, uh, I grew up um, in Ohio, and I uh, was riding my bike in this little town, and I came in, and I said to my mom, hey, I was probably six or seven, I said, hey, mom, um, God just told me that I'm going to preach the gospel to the nations. And she was like, cool. And I got back on my bike and I rode away. Now, a six or seven year old, I was surrounded by Christians. The most famous people that came through our church had like, they represented flags like this and that kind of thing, you know? So um, that was the, those are the people that I knew. Yeah, this is the end, by the way. So you're doing the right thing. (laughs) 
This is like the Oscars. He's like, we got to start playing the music, man. He's got to sit down. <laughs> so, so after uh, a number of years, my mom would remind me of that story, but I also, I, I got older and more mature and more, you know, I just said like, that can't be true. If, you know, like that wasn't really God speaking to me. I was just a kid who was mimicking what I heard at church. So I went to college. Uh, I had a call on ministry uh, of ministry on my life, but I went to college and I was an English major. But I told everybody I was I was going to teach English in China. That's why I was an English major. But I was lying. I really was just trying to get out of ministry and go teach at some college or something or, or do whatever. And there was a lot of parts of the story that God brought me back to Himself and to the call. And so I married my wife right out of college, and we we moved to New York. And I was in seminary in New York, and a couple of years in, we went on this trip to Germany, and it was a leadership development course or whatever, but I was leading worship one night, and it was in this rebuilt monastery that had been bombed in World War II. So it felt like this weird, like, half of it was bombed, they rebuilt the other half, it was like a pretty mysterious, like, holy kind of place. And it was one of those, it was a lot like what we experienced this morning in, in terms of, it was a just a ministry moment where people were praying and getting breakthrough and that kind of stuff. And I was leading worship, playing guitar. And one of the leaders from Germany came up to me and he said, I have a word to say to you. It's from God and you need to put your guitar down. Now, when a lot of people are praying, like what Jake's doing right now, if we were like in a minute, if he stopped playing completely, it does feel like different in the room. People kind of look up like, oh, are we done? What's going on here? So I knew that was going to happen. And I put the guitar down, and sure enough, all these people, like, look at me. I'm like, oh, great. So he, because I didn't, I just wasn't in that. I was, like, ministering to other people. I didn't want to, I don't know. You know how it is sometimes. So I, I was, I was doing that, and, and, and he said, he looked me right in the eye in his third language, English, and said, Jesus still wants you to preach the gospel to the nations. What are you doing? So that was 25 years later, or 22 years later. So I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Uh, and then he gave me two other words that have come true. It took eight years for one of them to come true, but it totally came true. And uh, my theology didn't have a lot of space for this kind of thing at the time, but I knew this was from God. So I went up to Rachel, my wife, who was there, and I said, hey, listen, uh, have you ever as a couple like gotten something from God and go and share the future plans to your spouse? And they're like, I got to catch up with this a little bit. So I said, hey, we're going to move overseas. She's like, hold on. I mean, we're, what are we talking about? Um, I said, no, I, I heard something from God. And she said, well, what God has said to me very clearly is I'm going to give up my dreams and control my plan for my family, for my kids, and for what my life is going to look like. And I got to be open-handed about wherever God takes us. And so he melded those things together. And a few years later, we were living in France, sharing the gospel with people who didn't care until they started coming to faith. That was fun. Here's why I share that story. First of all, in my life, and I believe this is true in so many of our lives, when we get to a place of surrender, God births in us vision for other people. Not just for like our own life or our own ministry, or our own position, but in a, and I love this thread that was this morning, in a place of getting low, of weakness, of serving, of making ourselves nothing like Jesus did in Philippians 2, and taking on the form of a servant. For some reason in my life, the more I get to know Jesus, the more he wants to empty me out. And that's tough because that involves suffering and trauma and all kinds of things that I have to deal with that I don't want to deal with. But Jesus is faithful. 
The other reason I say that is because, I don't know, there might have been a word given to you a number of years ago, or weeks ago, or months ago, or whatever, um, that you feel like, this is definitely true, by the way, for somebody in the room, because I'm feeling it. That you feel like either God forgot, God isn't all that good, and he's trying to trick you, or it wasn't from God, and you just explain it away. And the sp- and it has to do with mission and service. I don't know if it's somebody who's willing to get on a plane and move into a cult- totally different culture, or if it's the ministry dream that God birthed in you 10 years ago, and you just gave up because it got too hard and discouraging, and you had resistance. But I do believe Jesus wants to stir that up in you today. Reminds you that he sees. The other thing... I- the other reason I want to share this is I think the last two years with all the COVID stuff and everything and you're experiencing change here, there has been a hardness of heart that has crept into our lives towards other people, at least a temptation of hardness of heart. And most of the surrender to Jesus is just about tenderness and openness to his surrender. And the big block of surrender is hardness of heart. And so... May love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, this goodness that only comes from God, be manifest here. May the fruit of the Spirit be released with the gifts of the Spirit because that hardness of heart blocks us from mission, surrender, and service. And it blocks us from surrender to Jesus. Here's the last word, and then I'll give it to you, Jake. Um... I'm glad you're a part of this family of churches. It's really an honor to be here, and I want to encourage you to keep leaning in where you can. Um, I I felt like I got this clearly for the Italian group this morning, but I think it's probably beyond Italian, that we didn't pray specifically. So I'm going to pray this because it might be bigger, and then I'll give it to you. So Jesus, today, we embrace freedom, but we specifically break generational sin patterns of control, fundamentally of control. Control's the word. Control can mean a lot of things. We, we applied that to finances. I think it goes deeper. So Jesus, we release your spirit to break control in us, controlling our futures, controlling our kids. And those generational sin patterns go so deep. It's a core lie. So would you do the work that only you can do? But we declare uh, it broken in Jesus' name today by his power and his name alone. God bless you.